Support comes from Red Stag Supper Club, featuring weekly live music and a late-night happy hour, serving brunch, lunch, dinner, and late night seven days a week, focusing on locally farmed ingredients. RedStagSupperClub.com From Minnesota Public Radio, this is Grammar Grader. It's the podcast about words, grammar, and usage for the information age. This week's episode, Malapropisms and Misnomers. Oh, hi, Joe. Oh, hi. Hi, Dan. Everything okay? You look a little bit stressed out. Yeah, wow. It's, it's like you read my mind. You, you must be a psycho. I think you mean psychic. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. I'm just hoping I don't miss the bus. I couldn't handle getting home late tonight. What's got you so stressed out? Well, I, I just started this new job. I'm getting married in a few weeks, and I'm in the process of moving to a new place. Yeah, that does sound a bit hectic. It sure is. I'm, I'm in a period of a lot of transaction right now. Transaction? I think you mean transition. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Fowler's modern English usage says that lying at the heart of the language is a tendency to confuse like-sounding words. To help us better understand this tendency and its various forms, we're joined today by Catherine Winter, an editor from American Public Media's documentary unit, American Radio Works. Welcome back to Grammar Grader, Catherine. Thanks so much for having me, Luke. It's always fun. So today, we're talking about malapropisms and misnomers. Catherine, what got you interested in this topic? What most recently made me think of it was that a girlfriend of mine told me that there were going to be layoffs at her company, and there had been a meeting with the managers at her company. And she uttered the sentence, for the managers to infer that there won't be any more layoffs is really a misnomer. And what she meant, of course, was for the managers to imply that there won't be any more layoffs is a mistake or dishonest or... Uh, incorrect in some way. So uh, in using the word misnomer and the word infer incorrectly, she had actually uttered two malapropisms in one sentence. And I just was very amused and had a hard time not smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't we start with um, the word she used uh, in her malapropism, the misnomer. Uh, What does misnomer mean? Misnomer has two meanings. It has a legal meaning and uh, a more general usage meaning, but they both share the sense of using the wrong name, uh, giving an object the wrong name. It's always it's always in reference to a noun. Um, I I could maybe give you some examples that might help. Here's an example from my own work to just demonstrate that I'm sure not immune. I did years ago as a reporter a whole story about invasive species in Lake Superior, including what I referred to as lamprey eels, which I should have called sea lampreys because they're not eels. Sea lampreys are fish. They're not eels. And um, that would be a misnomer, giving something the wrong name. And another example might be, um, oh, pencil lead, because it's not lead in pencil. It's graphite or white chocolate, which technically isn't chocolate. It's a, a different kind of candy. So it's it's using a, a name for something that is not appropriate. It's not apt. It's not the right name for that noun. Okay, but these examples you're talking about, like white chocolate, these occur in our language. They're part of the idiom rather than an absent-minded mistake. Oh, yes, it happens all the time. And and it happens a lot with things like, um, oh, oh, in biology, there's the mountain ash tree, which isn't really an ash, or the koala bear, which isn't really a bear. So a, a misnomer isn't necessarily a mistake, a grammatical mistake. It's just an inapt term. Now, occasionally people do use the term misnomer inaptly. <laughs> they do. Oh, do you have any examples of those kind of errors in usage of the term? 
You know, I looked it up because I was wondering when when you and I got to talking about uh, looking at misnomer here on the grammar grader, I wondered how common it was for people to use it incorrectly. So I did some poking around in newspapers and I found a number of examples. It was not usually where the reporter or the writer made a mistake in the newspaper, but it would ex- it would occur in a quotation. I even found some on Minnesota Public Radio's own website. Um, never never mistakes of the reporter, I hasten to, to add, but within stories in quotations. On the blog Newscut, there was a story that had to do with the Humane Society, and the writer asked uh, the Humane Society person whether the clock was ticking on some dogs there. And the Humane Society person answered, absolutely not. That's one of the biggest misnomers out there. The Humane Society keeps dogs until they're adopted. Well, that's not a misnomer at all. It's just a mis- misapprehension or a mistake that people make or... Misconception. A misconception would be a much better word. Probably kind of leads us into our next topic, which is malapropism. Well, what's funny, of course, is that the, the, the misuses of misnomer that we've talked about so far have both been malapropisms. A malapropism is the use of a word usually that sounds like the word you're reaching for, but it isn't the right word. And sometimes there are quite humorous results. It comes from... There's a play by Richard Sheridan from 1775 called The Rivals, and there was a character in the play called Mrs. Malaprop, and she was guilty of using malapropisms all the time. Uh, For example, she said, he's the very pineapple of politeness, which she meant pinnacle of politeness. And my favorite from her is, she's as headstrong as an allegory on the banks of the Nile. When she meant, of course, mm. alligator. Now, now, is is this play the rivals? Uh, is this still produced now and then? It's not commonly produced, but I did find in poking around a re- fairly recent review of a staging of it from the New York Times, and the Times writer liked the acting and the staging quite a bit, but said that the play, to a modern audience, has long passages that are probably going to seem pretty tedious. So, so Mrs. Malaprop doesn't grace the stage very much anymore, but she's still very much part of our language. And she was a, obviously a fictional character, and her confusion of words was uh, done deliberately for humorous effect. But I'm sure that there's a lot of maybe humorous examples from real life that were unintentionally funny. You do hear this sort of thing. What I think what often happens is that somebody's trying to sound a little fancier. And so they use a, a, a bigger word that sounds sort of like the word they really mean. I remember hearing a guy go on and on about the histrionics of the Vietnam War one time. And uh, you do hear really often people use penultimate to mean ultimate because it's like ultimate only fancier or use urbane to mean urban. Uh, and it seems to me that's sort of like a, adding a little decoration to the word to make it extra fancy. But my favorites come from, there used to be a lawmaker in Minnesota, a senator whose name was Clarence Perfurst, and he was quite famous for his malapropisms. For example, he once said, let's dispense with all the discussion and get to the crotch of the matter. Oh, no. He did, and I'm sure he meant crux. <laughs> oh, I, I hope he did, yeah. <laughs> and there was one time he wanted to end debate. He was tired of discussing something and said that they would just, uh, they were they would stop debating something for now. And he said, we'll just let our predecessors figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. I assume he meant those who come after, but that would be a malapropism, using the wrong word. And he was just a... Uh, a little colorful in his use of the language, and often it, it resulted in malapropisms. Okay. Um, any other examples from the world of malapropisms? I also remember from way, way back when I was a kid in camp hearing two girls at Circle R Ranch Camp, I tell you, Luke, and they were having a big argument about whether one of them had said something or not. And the other one kept saying, "You, I did not say that. And the first one kept saying, well, that's what you inquired. 
So this brings us all the way back to that difficulty with imply and infer, which I know, Luke, you have dealt with on some other Grammar Grader programs. We have, yes. It's been in a previous episode. Uh, inquire didn't actually enter the frame on that one. but uh, <laughs> I think that's a pretty rare malaprop. That's the only time I ever heard it. <laughs> now, we've talked about these examples, and of course, they're, they're kind of funny. I guess what advice would you give to us as writers and speakers to avoid this common pitfall. Advice that I always give people is that writing is not something you do alone. There's a myth that you go off into a room and wait for the muse to descend and then suddenly you produce a great work. But the key to really writing well is having somebody else proofread your work so that you know for sure that someone else has looked over it for those little errors that all of us miss every once in a while. And that doesn't make you any less of a genius. It just makes you careful. That's good advice. And when it comes to speaking, it sounds like when we try to be too fancy, that's when we stumble. It does seem like the misuse of misnomer and some of the other malaprops that we've talked about today tend to be in speech and not in writing anyway, although, of course, they creep into writing as well. So, yeah, maybe it's a, a the best advice would be to stick within the vocabulary that you're quite sure of. That's great advice. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always fun, Luke. Thanks for having me. Well, Joe, I'm sorry to hear you got so much stress. I hope you can find some way to relax amidst all that's going on in your life. I try. I'm, I'm always able to relax with a good book. Oh, yeah? What kind of books do you like to read? Uh, bibliographies. Bibliographies? Oh, that sounds dull. Really? I find people's life stories fascinating. Oh, you mean biographies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whatever. That's what I meant. So right now I'm reading about Ferdinand Magellan, the famous maritime exhibitionist. I think you mean expeditionist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Uh, it's a good story, though, yeah? Oh, yeah. Did you know that in the 1500s, Magellan circumcised the world? Joe, I assure you, he did not do that. This has been Grammar Grader from Minnesota Public Radio. Source material for this episode comes from Fowler's Modern English Usage, which can be found at publicradiomarket.org. Special thanks to our guest, Catherine Winter, for joining us today. Thanks, as always, to the Grammatis Personae players, John Ryan and Tom Weber. Our producer is Brett Baldwin. Executive producer is John Pearson. I'm Luke Taylor. Thanks for listening. And if you like Grammar Grader, participate in the discussion, share your thoughts, and give feedback at grammargrader.gather.com. <laughs>